Hello and welcome to another episode of Laps Gamer Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Nail. Joining me tonight is my co-host, Ali Cornwolf Cornwall. Hello. On tonight's episode, we have an interviewee on who is a friend of mine from Games and I and is, uh, knows Ali as well. It is Pete Chapman. Hello. How are you doing, Pete? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. It's been a long day. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you currently do within the games industry. Uh, so I guess the most notable thing I do at the moment is I work for a company called Oddworld Inhabitants that many of your listeners have probably heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had games out at the end of the 90s and f- since then they've released five games now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we're working on the sixth, which is due at some undefined point in the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really, I mean, that's the the interesting thing about me. I don't think anything else is particularly worth noting. I mean, I run a, a company that's uh, a marketing consultancy and we do all sorts of different things, but primarily for Oddworld at the moment. Mm-hmm. The company that you're referring to there is Oscar Mike Media Limited. It is, yes. <laughs> it's really hard to find any specific <laughs> information about Oscar Mike Media. Um, on the internet, I found a company's house listing. I found a website with a logo. Um, I'd seen that there is some um, sort of partnership or something there to do with the sixthaxis.com as well. Right, yeah. What is it your company does? <laughs> Um, so yeah, we haven't, we've never needed to advertise, which is, I guess, a good <laughs> thing. Yeah, well, I, it was, the company was founded, Oscar Mike Media was founded, um, 2010, I think, mm-hmm. really to deal with, uh, advertising and potential content licensing for the sixthaxis.com, which is a website that I owned and managed for several years. Mm-hmm. So we needed a kind of a, a legal entity to cope with that stuff as it grew and became a, a bigger thing to deal with. Mm-hmm. So that's why the company was founded. And then about three years ago, it became, it sort of evolved into giving us uh, this legal entity within the UK to build business to business and contract work out to Oddworld at the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've ne- it, it was really set up as a reaction to needing a company so that we could invoice other companies. And then it has evolved from then into being this um, consultancy company. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, so that's that's also where the association with the Six Avenues comes from. That was kind of where I started working in the games industry, um, mm. initially voluntarily, and then becoming more and more involved with it into managing other people and then managing the whole thing. With the sixthaccess.com, you'd said you owned it. Was it you that actually set it up? Uh, so it was set up by a friend of mine who is also the reason why I now work for Oddworld. We're still in, um, we're still, we still work together. Mm-hmm. So it was set up by him and one of his other friends who, uh, shortly after I started working with them, they kind of decided that it wasn't something that they could take the responsibility of. Mm-hmm. They both had full-time jobs. Uh, my colleague that I work with still, um, he had a family, a young family, sort of, he was just starting to have his family. So... They wanted somebody that would be more involved with like the day-to-day running of it, the management of it, and also take the responsibility of the legal implications that were there and the ethical implications that were there. So that was really what I did. So it wasn't set up by me. I think I got involved maybe within six months of it starting. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I'd been made redundant from my work and wasn't in any real rush to run back into the workplace. It's always something that I've uh, struggled with mm-hmm. um, working for bosses has never been a strong point of mine. <laughs> so at the time I was kind of 
unemployed and not mad keen on getting into the grind of looking for a job. So I was spending my time sort of doing what I enjoyed doing, which was playing video games, writing about video games, um, discussing games with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, that evolved into taking up way too much time in the comments of the sick taxes, <laughs> talking to other users. And from that, that kind of evolved into, well, you're writing a thousand words a day anyway. So how about you just come and do that in an official capacity? Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that, like I say, it evolved more into a management thing. And eventually I ended up buying the site from my friend for a ridiculously low sum of money <laughs> and taking it over full time. And then he left. Um, and I continue to manage it. And now I've, I technically, I still own the domain, but it's, mm. uh, it's completely run by other people now. Oh, okay. And I have absolutely nothing to do with it. And it's, uh, on the one hand, a massive relief. And obviously something I can't really do is conflicts of interest there with my current work. So I can't really do anything with them at the moment. So it's a bit of a relief to have that off my plate. But on the other hand, I kind of really miss critiquing games and being involved in the day-to-day sort of keeping up to date with the news and the review cycles and yeah. all that sort of stuff mm. i always enjoyed that the sick taxes then are they actually then a a customer as such of oscar mike media you could yeah you could say that you could say they were a customer but they don't actually pay us anything mm-hmm. um so we basically i retain the domain more out of convenience than anything else it's just a hassle to get that signed over i'm still very friendly with the guys that run the site yeah um so yeah, and we would provide uh, basic uh, like technology services for them. So web design stuff up to this point, well, up until maybe a year ago, we were still doing that kind of thing for them. Now, mm. now starting to look into doing it for themselves and maybe keep it a little bit more current than we have the time to provide them. Yeah. The next question then is, how does a company from Northern Ireland get in contact with Oddworld Inhabitants, who are obviously based in California in America? How did that come about? <laughs> So one of the one of the most important things that I tell anybody that's ever getting involved with video games and wants to work in the industry is to be nice to everyone mm-hmm. and maintain those relationships and just stay friendly with everyone as yeah. best you can. Yeah. So the the guy that asked me to help out at the Sixth Axis when he left, he left to go and work as a web developer for a company called uh, Just Add Water. Mhm who we kind of knew a little bit from our time at the Sixth Axis anyway. They made a game on Vita or maybe PSP. I can't remember how far back it went, called Gravity Crash. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a twin-stick shooter, like almost like a lander thing. So we kind of knew them, and then they made the HD remakes of Munch's Odyssey and Stranger's Wrath oh, okay. for PlayStation. So we kind of had a, a little bit of a relationship with them anyway, but here obviously knew the... The guy that ran that, a guy called Stuart Gilray, I think he knew quite well. Mm-hmm. So he got a job with them anyway as a web developer. Um, he worked with them for, I'm going to say, maybe just over a year while they were working on Oddworld New and Tasty. Mm-hmm. So they were, like I say, they'd made the HD remakes of Munch and Stranger for Oddworld. I think that was basically a case of the company getting in contact with Lorne Lanning and hassling him until he said, well, yeah, okay, we'll let you do them. <laughs> so they did them to some decent reception and then they got the contract to work on New and Tasty. Um, they worked on that for however long that took them. It seemed to be many years. But when that came out, then they obviously they had no need for a web developer anymore and my friend's contract was coming to a close. Mm-hmm. But he had developed this relationship with Lorne Lanning and the guys at Oddworld. Um, and they said obviously sort of towards the end of the game's development everybody gets involved in doing everything and he'd been sort of pushed into the marketing stuff Mm. and he'd done a lot of that so 
when his contract was up with Jaw, they said, Oddworld said, well, come and work for us directly. Oh, okay. Um, and he said, absolutely, yes, that'd be fantastic. But um, there's way too much work in that for one person. So <clears throat> I kind of need some assistance. And I know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> so he phoned me up one day and says, do you fancy coming and working for Oddworld? And I said, hmm, let me think about that for yeah. about 30 seconds. <laughs> and then jump at the chance. Yeah. Um, so I had a quick... Like, I wouldn't even call it an interview. I had a quick, like, just a, a chat, an informal chat with Lorne, discussing what I can do, what my abilities are and what they need. Mm-hmm. And from that, he employed, he asked me to join the team. And that was really, I think I was, I was technically employed part-time for the first year. I was, mm-hmm. I was meant to only be on a contract for, say, like 20 hours a week, I think, something like that. Um, ended up very quickly, basically just working full-time on it. Um, oh. And then at the end of the first year, Lawton said, okay, we see what you do. Maybe we'll start paying you properly for it now. <laughs> and they uh, they increased our contract. So we're both on full-time now. So Oscar Mike Media is really just the two of us. And uh, we are full-time on Oddworld. Okay. So to an extent then, while you're employed by, you're almost like a contracted company? Oh, we're absolutely, yeah. yeah. We're, we are completely contractors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it was interesting what you said about being like humble if you like and being very pleasant within the industry um because i guess that's how we've all met each other um i know it was at Eurogamer. oh god what we're we talking now four maybe five years ago we first met um maybe uh, three years ago is it I yeah know. i think it was only three years ago I'm was not it the first old. one at Come birmingham on. <laughs> yeah it might have been yeah and i remember just going past and saw this sign of abes and i was like oh look slam the brakes on and just came over. But I also noticed the T-shirt, which I ended up going to buy because at the end of the interview, I said, where did you get your T-shirt? <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and, it's, and it's true that there are some fools out there who think they own something just for having a YouTube channel or on a podcast or whatever. But we've always, uh, here at El Jar and I've just had that just be pleasant mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. everyone's human and it, it gets you somewhere. Yep. I think the, the business cards will soon get thrown away if you're, think you know give me the game kind of thing or and it's supposed to be fun isn't it you know it's yeah yeah if people getting bitter about it and getting to like too competitive about it i think kind of ruins the the reason why we all got into it in the first place and that's because we enjoy doing it yeah 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 yeah. i've got a common interest which is games nine times out of ten and that for that i mean we did that video interview against was it the wall to the there was an indie booth or something it was the wall too and we had the abe standy with us and we did that interview there yeah um and then from that, you know, we like follow each other on Twitter and you, you have these little back and forth moments now and again. And, it's, you know, you develop like a friendship with people that you've met and spoken to on a professional level. And then who knows, like in a year's time, things come up and people move jobs. And, you know, it's keeping those relationships that keeps people moving around in the industry and presents opportunities, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. With the sort of the marketing side of it, then. There is so many different strategies and things um, for marketing these days. How important do you think the role of YouTubers and influencers um, has become um, with respect to marketing now? I would suggest probably the most important. Mm -hmm. Um, We still, obviously, we have relationships with traditional media. Um, and I mean, this is, oh, this is maybe a, an indication of how far along the YouTubers or the, the influencers. I really hate that term, but that's kind <laughs> of what the industry has decided to go with. So we yeah. have, to. yeah, 
it's kind of maybe an indication of how far along that's come that when I say traditional media, I'm lumping in websites with that. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, while we do have relationships with like newspapers and magazines, I and mean, it's always nice to be featured in any of those. And it's obviously, it's great to be on IGN or GameSpot or like any of the big websites. It's fantastic. All the smaller websites, sometimes I think they they do kind of more interesting work. So it's it's nice to see how those different people cover you. But I think in terms of uh, like a maximum impact specifically around a launch period and in the build up to a launch period, I think that uh, streamers and YouTubers are probably the most important piece of the puzzle there. Mm. Um, and I think that's for companies of all size. You know, you see small uh, developers, small publishers like uh, Mike Rose's team, uh, yeah. No More Robots, I think they're yep. called. Yep. They did uh, absolutely outstanding work with, um, Discord around the, their game Descenders. Yeah. Um, and you see that they're sort of trying to duplicate that with subsequent games that he's announcing. Um, but really imaginative, like community led things that they're doing as a small developer. And also the big developers like you see EA and Activision are now sort of starting to realize that maybe that's something they should be doing as well. And rather than just getting into, well, we'll pay x thousands of dollars to this massive youtuber for him to make a video for us they're sort of trying to engage on a more grassroots community level mm. um and i think that for all angles of the the video game industry if you're in publishing um which even you know if i include developers that self-publish in that if you're publishing a game you need to be talking to people who are going to play that game and people who are going to influence others to play that game yeah and most of that now is happening on youtube and twitch do you find that the, the the smaller channels and influencers, if we don't use that term, like you don't like it, um, <laughs> do you find that they they offer more passion than the big IGNs, GameSpots, and things like that, or does it not really make much difference? Not not to tarnish the the bigger people with a brush, but do you find that sometimes they'll just do it because they've got an obligation to do it? Where if you went to a, a smaller company or a smaller YouTuber or whatever podcaster that they put a bit more passion into it a bit more effort into it because they're grateful for you approaching them yeah i'm not sure if it's i'm not sure if passion's the right word i think because i think that i certainly hope that anybody that does that job for one of the big sites like ign for example mm. Eurogame or whatever i would hope that they still have a passion for it too and i would hope that they would still would put that passion into their work regardless of what it was i think with smaller sites maybe there's a, an element of um, they have a little bit more time maybe to dedicate, yeah. maybe yeah. a little bit more um, of a a particular interest in your thing. And then also, I mean, I know myself, we were, the Sigtaxis was not a big site, particularly, uh, certainly at the beginning. Mm. So I know myself when you're dealing with a developer or publisher and they show an interest in you and what you're doing, it kind of makes you want to spend as much or at least dedicate enough time to their product to yeah. give it a fair crack of the whip where mm. um potentially journalists at larger sites you know they maybe they maybe love your game and they, what they've seen they think is fantastic and they really want to get the best coverage out of it but they've only got three hours on a wednesday afternoon to do something yeah, right. with it yeah yeah um, and then they they have to move on to the next thing um whereas i think smaller specialist media or um independent media i think maybe can dedicate a little bit more of their time because they're deciding what they want to dedicate their time to. Whereas at the bigger, the bigger outlets, I think maybe they've got a little bit more pressure to split their time up. Yeah. 
yeah, that's a better way to put it. I certainly think that smaller places can definitely be more interesting in yeah. the way that they cover things. Like there's a, a number of smaller sites. Um, one specifically is a site called Finger Guns that I don't think they don't have a particularly large audience, but they've been doing really like interesting video games coverage and really like kind of informal video games coverage that I really enjoy the style of. Mm-hmm. So I tend to like, I tend to like a lot of what they do. Right. A lot more than sort of the more sterile business like pieces you would get on larger game sites. Mm-hmm. Is there a risk with um, streaming on YouTube that for the amount of keys and things that get sent out, only a small percentage of people will actually cover the game? There is, but you, you get that risk no matter where you are. I think mm-hmm. no matter what you're trying to do, you get that kind of risk. I think with a lot of the bigger guys, that doesn't matter necessarily because they're running betas and things before the before yeah. they launch. But the other side of that is things like, certainly on Steam, codes are free. You know, we don't, you don't pay for that. Steam generates them and we can basically generate as many as we want. And if yeah. there's a, a chance of coverage, you know, you're sending them to people who run websites, they're not going to end up on the grey market being yeah. sold by some of the shadier websites. So yeah. it's almost like it's worth sending keys to people in the hope that they'll cover your game. Yeah, so it's not necessarily lost revenue as such. Yeah, well, it's it's almost certainly not lost revenue, and yeah. you get the, the chance of opening up. Now, the sensible thing to do is try and have those relationships in place before it comes to that time. So, mm-hmm. like, even now, it's, we're still some distance from Soulstorm's release. Um, mm-hmm. We're talking to influencers, and we're trying to develop those relationships because... Um, we know that they're going to be important to us in the future as a small company that doesn't have money to spend on ad budgets. Um, we are trying to identify the people that are passionate about what we do that we know will be enthusiastic about our game when they get to play it. Or mm. we, we don't know, but we expect we'll be enthusiastic, mm. um, if we do our job right. So that when it comes time to, like when, as we're approaching preview cycles and review cycles, we have those relationships there to use. And I think that that's something that everybody in the industry is doing now. From a from a marketing point of view, is it cheaper um, and more effective to give out free keys than what it is to buy like pay for ads and and things like that to pub- publicise your game? I know it's probably a bit of a fifty fifty, but um, it's a. I think that those two things are maybe separate things. Oh, okay. um, I would say if you're advertising, you're probably advertising to people who aren't watching those streamers and youtubers mm. and stuff right to a degree okay and obviously there's some crossover there so adverts are basically about like catching people who don't know that you've got a product out there and saying look here's my product doesn't mm. it look interesting whereas the relationships that you develop with press or with streamers and influencers is more like people know your products come in and maybe they'll seek it out right okay so they just want more information before it's available yeah or if they're not sure what it's going to be like they can watch someone play it or yeah. watch a little review and stuff. And the the other part of that is that you identify with certain streamers, certain influencers, you will kind of get a feel for what they do and what they enjoy doing and what sort of games they enjoy playing. So then you know what their audience likes to see. And if that marries up with what you're trying to do, then it, it's often worth working with them. Now, I know some of the, some of the really big influencers charge for coverage. As you'd expect when you've got a big audience like that, mm. you know, they, they're in, they're in business too. Um, and there's a lot of work in running those channels. So I don't really blame them for that. But like I say, we're a, a small company. We don't really have our budgets better spent elsewhere. Let's say. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we try and find people that we know like us and that we like them and we try and work with those people. Mm. And so far it's worked out pretty well for us. Now Soulstorm has to be a, a bigger product. So um, we're looking at expanding on that idea and finding mm. bigger bigger channels to work with maybe. But some of the people that covered New and Tasty when it came out, they've obviously they've had four years now where they've mm. been playing games and putting videos on YouTube and their channels are growing too. Yeah. So we like to see, you know, we're, we're a small company, but we like to see uh, the smaller people that we've worked with before. We like to see them grow too and they sort of grow in with us as we mm. develop this bigger game. Yeah, yeah. It's been said that there's no such thing as bad publicity. How does that sort of go against or go with the slightly more controversial sides of streamers and YouTubers? Um, I would tend to disagree with that sentiment. I think uh, it'd probably be unprofessional of me to name names in this format. <laughs> well, we wouldn't expect you to. But I think that, for example, having your game be championed by somebody who has shown themselves to be, um, without question, a, like a terrible racist or horrible misogynist or mm. homophobe or whatever they may be, you know, somebody saying, here, this game's fantastic, everyone should play this game, and also, I really don't like Jewish people, for example. Yeah. You know, as a viewer, I would watch that and think, oh, he's found a game. Oh, my God, he's that kind of person. Well, maybe I don't have the same taste as him. Mm. Is that a case of, like you say, you kind of follow or get to know your influencers beforehand just so you can see what other media they've put out and, and different things just to kind of circumvent that if someone clicks on other videos, they're not suddenly going to get a... You know, pornographic video or or something crazy, and you're like, "Well, no, we don't want our game associated <laughs> with that or something." Well, I think you. I mean, that's certainly part of it. That's part of developing a relationship is that we tend to try and know the people that we're working with a little bit better than we would do if it was going through like a publicist that then talks to an agent that then gets their talent involved. You know, we like mm. to talk directly to the people that we uh that we're working with. So mm. part of it is that. I mean. People make mistakes and things happen sometimes, you know, the heat of the moment, people can say things that perhaps they wouldn't usually say. I, it's all in how they deal with that, I think. Yeah. So there is a an element of, I mean, we obviously, we, we don't know exactly the all the political opinions of the people that we work with, and mm. maybe they have political opinions that wouldn't match up with mine. I'm quite politically outspoken. Anybody that follows me on Twitter is probably sick of hearing me. <laughs> And I'm quite forthright about that, and that's fine. I don't mind seeing that from anybody else and having that kind of disagreement with people. It's, I mean, there's people within the same team that I would have political disagreements with. Mm. It's in about how you deal with that and how you, um, when you do make mistakes, how you cope with that and whether you kind of double down on it or um, whether you're sort of contrite and say, well, hold my hands up. Yeah, I said something really stupid and mm. I'm really sorry about that and... I'll try and be better in the future. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that part of it is certainly trying to get to know people on a more personal level so that we know, so that we can be fairly confident that they're not going to say anything, like, terrible. Yeah. But then <laughs> another part of it is that everybody makes mistakes and, you know, if somebody is a nice, genuine person, then when they make a mistake, they're going to hold their hands up and say, yeah, I've like that was, that was bad. So yeah. let's make it better as best we can yeah yeah do you have a i don't know like a blacklist up on the wall of people that you don't or try to avoid interacting with 
me personally, <laughs> or as a company. Um, no, not really. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are, for some of the people on the team that have been on the team for a lot longer than I have, I'm sure there are certain outlets, certain personalities that they just maybe haven't got on along with. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's certainly, there's no blacklist that says, right, we are not working with these people. Yeah. I mean, I have my own personal tastes for the people that I've enjoyed coverage from on other games. So mm-hmm. there are people that I'm very keen to work with um, as often as I can, because just because I really like their output and want to be associated with that and associate with those people. But going the other way, not really. Nobody's... Uh, well, I mean, it goes back to what we said at the very start. People tend to know that the way to get ahead in this business is to be nice to people. So yeah. Yeah. nobody's going to yeah. be unreasonably nasty about anything that we would have to start thinking about blacklists. Yeah. <laughs> right, big question then. Can you actually tell us anything about Soulstorm? Yay! There we go. Get to the meat of it. <laughs> uh, what do you want to know? Release date. <laughs> also, there's a little bit of this is a little bit of showmanship from Stuart because I think I've actually shown him things from Soulstorm, <laughs> and you've not shared it with me, Stu. Oh no, That's actually, shocking. I don't think I have. Oh, uh, haven't you? No. Um, in our previous meetings and things, I think I saw something running on a mobile phone, but... Uh, oh, yeah. We showed you new and tasty on yeah. mobile before that came out. Um, uh, but that's all I've seen. Oh, that wasn't really interesting. Catch me <laughs> at the next thing we're at and I'll show you some oh, nice okay. pictures. Maybe some nice videos. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, well, what about a release date then? Um, even, are we looking 2018? Honestly, I don't know. I think okay. um, there is still a lot of development to go. There is um, a lot of hard work being done mm-hmm. on that. So I know that back when we announced, it was kind of suggested. I'm not sure if we ever said explicitly, but it was kind of suggested that maybe we'd release towards the end of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've obviously blown past that. Yeah. Um, 2018, I think, maybe. Yeah. Is it something that we might first see at E3? Um, I, I really don't. I don't know. No. <laughs> we have stuff. We have, I mean, we have playable levels and we have videos that we're working on and trailers and there's i mean there are assets there mm-hmm. but we are also i mean like i've suggested a couple of times um soulstorm has to be a much bigger game at yeah. retail than you and tasty was yeah um, and that's down to how much has been spent on it and how much work is going into it i mean i know that fans don't necessarily like what they think of as a delay and mm-hmm. i totally get that um i'm right there with you but the kind of the scope of this project has, I would say, significantly grown since we announced it. Oh. Um, and that's down to the ambition behind the creative team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to say, and certainly we're not ready to officially say, yes, we'll be out in this month of this year for two reasons. And one of them being, I just don't know. I don't know how much more development work is going mm-hmm. to be added to yeah. the 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 schedules of those guys, mm. those poor developers that are doing such yeah. great work. And <laughs> nobody's nobody's seeing it yet, so they're doing this fantastic work and it's all sort of in the dark. Mm. Um, but also, I don't want to um, I don't want to say anything about release dates that might get in the way of potential deals that we have to do with yeah. perhaps uh, publishers or store managers or, you know, we will listen to all the advice that we get from 
everybody that gives advice on those things and mm. we'll decide our best release date from then based on when we think we'll be finished. Mm. Yeah, I guess does some of it, the, the release date, does that some of that depend on obviously what else is going to be released at a similar time? There's there's not much of a an empty window these days of when to release games, unfortunately. <laughs> no, there is, there is certainly not. Um, no. And yeah, I mean, that part of what I do is uh, strategizing for that yeah. kind of stuff. So um, even things that maybe wouldn't be a, an immediate concern, like obviously you don't release on the same day as the new Call of Duty, you know, and this <laughs> this year, even Call of Duty is moving out of the way from Red Dead Redemption or Red yeah. Dead, whatever the Red Dead game is called this year. So, you know, those are obvious, like, games, things that every gamer knows that you don't want to be falling on that same week. But then you also have to think, like, you don't do big milestones on the Easter weekend because Europe's all off work at Easter, so nobody really pays much attention to that. Mm-hmm. Releasing a game in the second week of July this year would be a terrible idea because the World Cup finals are on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you good for me. <laughs> <laughs> so the way you think of it really is that you're not just competing for what games people are going to buy, you're competing for their screen time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might even suggest that it might not be a great idea to release a new game the week that Game of Thrones starts back on TV. Yeah. You, know, yeah, you yeah, try yeah. and look at all those things and figure out, well... People are going to have some screen time here. Or if some big new free-to-play game's coming out that's expected to do really well, you have to give it a few weeks to let its audience play enough of it and get back to looking at other games. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's been a bit crazy recently because it was, for me, Monster Hunter. Um, I had to sink as much into that as I could in about four weeks before Sea of Thieves and then Sea of Thieves and then now God of War. <laughs> and I tried to finish off a pile of shame. Um it's it's a bit crazy. So with the new game, um, is it going to be a similar kind of play style to, to the other Abe's games? Uh, so we've shown a couple of bits and pieces of it uh, that do show it as a side-on 2D platformer style thing yep. from the screenshots. I think, again, the scope of that is much bigger than it was when we set out. So I think there's a lot more immersion to it than there, there was to New and Tasty. So... While it is still that sort of side-on platforming game, there's a lot more sort of in and out with the camera and a lot more depth to the world than there was with New and Tasty. Um, how much does Soulstorm depend on, you know, New and Tasty going before? Did New and Tasty act as sort of testing the waters to see if there was still interest in that world, that universe, um, as such that was originally, you know, started with the Abe's Odyssey and the Abe's Exodus? Um, well, I think the New and Tasty's contribution to Soulstorm as a project is that it's paying for it. Mm-hmm. So I think what Lorne would say, and I've heard him, I've heard people ask him similar questions. And what he says is that back in 2007, I think they got the, when they had all the rights back for their own IP mm-hmm. that they sort of managed to claw back off certain publishers and platform holders. Mm-hmm. But they were as a, a team, I guess, a duo, Lorne and Sherry McKenna, our other co-founder were they were working on different things. So they just Mm -hmm. weren't interested in getting back into games at that point. And I think it was suggested to them that there was potential for the the catalogue games, the Abe's Odyssey, Abe's Exodus, Munch's Odyssey, and Stranger's Wrath. Um, They put those on Steam as a a test. People keep asking us for this, so let's see how it goes. And they put them on Steam and were blown away by the response that they got and how well those games sold 10 years, 15 years after they were made. Yeah. 20 years after Abe's Odyssey was made and they put it on Steam and people were buying it and loving it. 
Um, and not just the fact that they were selling, but the, the user reviews coming in, um, mm. were so strong and so great. Um, and I think that's really what made them think, well, okay, actually there is still a market here that loves our stuff and maybe we can, maybe we can go back to making that for them. Um, so I think that gave way then to the HD remasters, uh, for PlayStation platforms and some of that's fed back onto the PC as well. Mm. Um, even our mobile releases, Strangers Wrath on mobile is HD version. Um, and kind of all that helped the company build strength and build capital to invest in developing uh, New and Tasty, which was the ground up remake of Abe's Odyssey. But again, New and Tasty was kind of, um, I wouldn't call it a half step, but it was maybe like 0.9 of a step yeah. <laughs> um, to a brand new game because it it was com- a complete ground up remake. All the assets are different. All the assets are new. And it's obviously it's HD and it's, it's stunning visuals and yeah, yeah. all of that. Yeah. But it still took its design inspiration from Abe's Odyssey. Yeah. Yeah. So when that game was made and how well that game did, I, I think that then gave, and I think that even there was interviews with Lorne back at the time when he said, well, if we sell X amount copies of New and Tasty, then we'll have the the capital to be able to make our next game. Um, and obviously that they, they did that. So I think New and Tasty brought in enough revenue back into the company and strengthened the company and strengthened the brand and sort of, gave us a, a prominence amongst a modern audience that maybe we hadn't quite had up to that point. Yeah. 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 And that, that enables us to go forward and make Soulstorm, which is totally brand new. There's nothing in that that really owes, well, there's hardly anything in that that owes anything to any of the previous games. Mm. I, I think the new and tasty, because it was, as most of us would know it as Abe's Odyssey. And then obviously it's new and tasty because it's been, like you say, built from the ground up. Um, but it gave those people that had never, played Abe's Odyssey or maybe dare I say too young to play it (laughs) (laughs) it pains me to say that um to to find out what it's all about and yeah it's a really really good remaster remake whatever you you guys dub it as (laughs) we we tried to call it a remake because I think there was a lot of confusion the way it was announced um and the way people spoke about it in the the sort of the very early stages were just that it was um Abe HD it was a, yeah. a remake of Abe's Odyssey or a remaster of Abe's Odyssey. And I think that tends to suggest that it was kind of like a, an up-res and maybe some new textures and some new skins. And yeah, um, and it so totally was not that. No, no, no. Plus there was new bits in it as well, wasn't there? There was some extra uh, DLC that you added to it or whatever it was. Not DLC, but... Yeah, there was, there was some... Um, there was a few areas that were slightly changed and there was the Alphascape DLC that was a brand new... Well, it was a brand new level. I'd say level. It was like maybe half an hour, 45 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was quite substantial. Um, and that was all brand new. At this stage in the interviews, um, we always sort of, you know, throw it over to um, our guest uh, to plug, publicize, give shout outs to um, whoever or whatever they want to. So go ahead and uh, do what you need to do. <laughs> Uh, I don't really have because we don't have a, a game coming to market within the next few months. So I, I don't really have anything that I particularly want to pimp at this stage other than to say that everyone should, I guess, follow us on Twitter and Facebook and all that. Carry on. Where can we get you on Facebook and Twitter? So Facebook, we are facebook.com forward slash official Oddworld. Mm-hmm. And then Twitter and Instagram both, we are at Oddworld Inc. And then we have a Discord channel as well. So if you go to oddworld.com, there's a, a like a big slide at the front that will give you access to our Discord. 
What's on your Discord? Um, what are little snippets or things, or is it just a general chat um, with fans and things, or how much is the development team involved in it? All of the people that work in social and marketing, so myself, my colleague Alex, uh, and a woman that we work with on social media stuff, Bernice, um, hmm. we're all there and we're pretty active there. Um, okay. Some of the guys from Fat Kraken, who are one of the developers, they're based in, I think they're in Leeds or in and around Leeds. Um, some of them drop in from time to time. Mm-hmm. So it is mostly just like general chat where people will ask us questions about law or questions about the development process as yeah. it pertains to particular facts that they want to know. The Oddworld community is uh, super knowledgeable. Um, <laughs> not even joking, there have been times when I've contacted members of the Oddworld community and said, do you remember this? What's the like? What's the story behind that? And they'll fill me in on some of the facts and like set me straight for the way I'm thinking of things. So a lot of it's quite like granular for what they want to know, but there is broader stuff there too. And there is, uh, I mean, there's channels there for just general entertainment. Gen- people post music videos for whatever music they're listening to at the time. Mm. And then there was most recently one of the most active channels was associated with the Kickstarter campaign that the guys at Indie by Design ran. Mm-hmm. Um, so they ran a campaign for to make a, a book about Abe and Abe's it's called Abe's Origins so it was all about um Abe and where he came from as a character and how his character grew and it's going to be full of new art from they found four boxes of art under Lorne's house that nobody had looked through for like 20 years wow. and Lorne pulled it out from under his house and was like maybe I should have a look at this and we were like <laughs> uh-huh maybe you should send us that um so we're posting that an image a day onto our Instagram at the moment Mm-hmm. Um, but also a lot of it will end up in this book and it's all rare. Some of it's actually unseen. Some of it hasn't been seen publicly at all. A lot oh, of it wow. hasn't been seen publicly okay. at all. So that will go into the book. Um, and we did a game collection with them in mm-hmm. collaboration with Limited Run Games as well. So mm-hmm. that was all quite exciting and the, it gave the fans a place where they could sort of live chat to us and the guys from Indie by Design that are making mm-hmm. the book. Has that Kickstarter campaign finished now? It has just finished. Yeah. It finished on oh, Friday okay. of last week. We... Uh, we set a target at the start of that of £45,000 and we, mm-hmm. at the end of it, we hit 154000 and something. Wow. So something like 330% of our target. So yeah, everyone was really pleased with the way that went and I think kind of reflects that there is a thirst for that kind of, at least for the nostalgic odd world stuff that people link to the games mm-hmm. that they enjoyed when they were young. Um, and obviously, I mean, that's it's going to cover Abe as a character and there'll be bits in that from Soulstorm as well. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for coming on with us and chatting with us. It's uh, been very informative and very, very revealing as such. Thank you for having me. I will come back and waffle any time. Oh, yeah. No, we'll definitely get you on. <laughs> yeah. Just give us a shout out sort of closer to a release date of, you know, anything that might be coming out sometime. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll be more than happy to have you back on again just to chat about stuff. So this is the problem with these things. I go, oh, this podcast is really fun. Let's do more of these. And then, yeah, yeah actually, people only want to talk to you when you've got interesting things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Come back to us when it's more to talk about. Oh, no, well, we'll quite happily have people on just as just a general guest just to sort of sit and chat about things that you know you people have been playing and things so thank you very much for coming on and uh we will say for the minute adieu thank you for having me and goodbye adios